Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. Amen. Thank you, Jake, for leading us. As I'm, uh, as I am the audience this morning out here, um, belting it out. I'm reminded of the Book of Revelation, and every tribe, every tribe, tongue, and nation is going to be before the throne of God, worshiping Him. And there's something about worshiping. I can try and worship in my car, and I can worship in my car for sure. Um, to something off of Amazon, whatever. But uh, there's something about being with a group of people and worshiping the Lord. And I, too, look forward to having some people here next week. Uh, not, not, I mean, it, it helps to have people in the room listening to you, but, but more so um, to worship with you together in the same space. Uh, that's what we're meant to do. So um, if, you're, if you're comfortable with that, we'd love for you to sign up for that. You can do that at the website. And, um, and be here uh, in person next week. We're going to have an outdoor option as well, uh, so please make time to do that. We're continuing in a series that we started a few weeks ago called Peter and Every Man's Guide to Spiritual Formation. And this morning, uh, I was reminded of, um, I've got a bunch of papers on my wall uh, in my office that are just reminders to me of what's important. And so this is one that's been up there for years. It says, ultimately, each church will be evaluated only by one thing, its disciples. Your church is only as good as its disciples. It doesn't matter how good your praise, your preaching, your programs, or property are. If your disciples are passive, needy, consumeristic, and not moving in the direction of radical obedience, your church is not good. And I read that years ago, and I thought, man, that is keeping your eye on the ball. And and that's what we are doing with this series, is taking a look. I'm just trying to take a deeper look into what does it look like to grow in your faith in Jesus and to grow as a disciple of Jesus, becoming more like Jesus. What are the stages of compared to a marathon the last few weeks of how do you know where you are on that map and what the des- destination is? Because that's going to help you persist in the middle of it. And so that's where we've been in this series. We've been through stage one and stage two. This week is uh, stage three. And I'm going to pick up with a passage uh, from Matthew chapter 16. It says, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ you are the son of the living God. So this scene is similar to the scene from last week, but it's a different scene from the one um, of last week. And these stages that I've talked about, I've said you're never all in one stage or another stage and you go back and forth a little bit. I was talking to somebody this week who suggested that they work a little bit like layers. And I thought, man, that makes quite a bit of sense that you go through layer one, but you're never like you're always at you're always at stage one, and you you go through stage two, but you're always at stage two. That life of discipleship and learning and growing in that way, and and stage three, you're always going to be at stage three. And so here he kind of alludes back to stage one of who do you say that I am, and yet is pushing them through um, to stage two and stage three. So this and it's similar to where we left off last week. Last week. I talked about Jesus and the feeding of the 5,000, and the next morning he's on the other side of the lake, and the people that he fed dinner to are looking for breakfast, and Jesus says to him, listen, you're only following me because I met a need for you. You're not following me because I'm 
the Son of God, sent from God to be the Savior of the world. You're not following me because you believe that I'm true. You're following me because I meet some type of need for you right now. And then he talks to him about being the bread of life and how he's not here just to meet one or two needs of yours. He is the central need of your life is a relationship with Jesus that reconciles you to the Father. That's the central need of your life. And it says that many, at that point, many of his disciples left him because it was hard. And that is hard to say that Jesus is the central need of your life. You don't completely understand that. You can kind of get it. And, and so a lot of them left, and he turns to the 12 and says, do you want to go away also? And Peter says, we can't. Where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've believed, stage one, and come to know, which is a bit of stage two, that you were the Holy One of God. It's deepened. Our emotion has turned into conviction, and now we're convinced that you are our Savior and um, our source of life, and we need to follow you. And so stage two is, you know, moving into that and through that and getting to that place where you've surrendered certain areas of your life to him. And, and sometimes that works out really well, and he straightens things out. And other times it doesn't work out well, but you know it's true because sometimes true is hard. You know, and so sometimes Jesus is true is hard, but he's still true. And so you're, you're locked into that relationship with him. And that's where they are at this point. Um, who does everybody else say that I am? And this is still the issue today where you ask people who Jesus is and they're going to say a prophet or a teacher or a good guy. Well, who do you say that I am? You are the Christ. You're the one uh, that has, has come from God uh, to save us. And so then he takes it further. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I'll just, um, I've mentioned this, I think, every week for the last few weeks. And if, if this isn't catching with you, don't worry about it yet. At some point you'll have to. But he wades into that deep end of the pool, which is kind of a free will election thing. And he's saying, you didn't do this. God did this in you. It's God's work. And that's, it is important because it's God's work. And he's going to call Peter into God's work. Uh, but it's God's work, ultimately. And that's something that when you move into stage three, you've got to learn that. And he said, I tell you, Peter, you're Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And so um, they, go to a, they go to a place called Caesarea Philippi, and I've included um, a picture of this. I had a chance to go there a few years ago. It was amazing. If anyone wants to take a trip to Israel, text me right now. We'll hook this up um, because I would go back in this afternoon. If somebody said, hey, someone dropped out of our trip, you can go, but you got to leave right now. I would leave right now, like in the middle of the sermon. I would leave to go back there because it was amazing. And this was just one of those things. You hear this passage, but then you see the place where it happened, and it's on this rock I'll build my church. So they're standing in front of this massive rock formation, and he's saying there's a foundation to this thing. And people like debate, and I'm not sure what the rock is. Peter is Petros, so that's rock, but the word that he uses is Petros, so it's like, a, like layers of rocks, which looks more like this thing. And then Jesus is the cornerstone on which the church is built, so the gospel, his confession of faith that, that Jesus is the Son of God to me seems to be like the rock, and Peter later says that we're put together like living stones. And so it's just this foundation of what the church is going to be built on, this profession of faith um, in, in Christ as the Savior. And, and then he says the gates of hell won't stand against it. Um, well, Caesarea Philippi was on the way north end of Israel, and it was, I mean, Caesarea, it's named after Caesar. Uh, it's a place of like, it's not just, an, it's, it's a place of 
of worship of all sorts of different gods. And so in the little cave in this picture, they would worship the god Pan. There's a river that runs through the back of that, and they'd throw a sacrifice in there. And if the sacrifice went down the river and blood didn't come through the surrounding streams, then it would, they would think that the, the gods had, had accepted their sacrifice. And where it went in there was the gates of the underworld. I mean, it was referred to as the gates of hell. And so when Jesus is saying the gates of hell won't prevail against it, in a way he's saying, listen, people worship all sorts of stuff, and the church is going to prevail against all of that, what Jesus would call idol worship. You know, the, the gates of hell will not prevail against the worship of Christ as the Son of God. And so he's giving a statement and a commission to them. It's, it's mission that he's telling them about. And I heard one pastor years ago say that Caesarea Philippi is a place that good Jewish boys didn't go. Uh, and Jesus is saying, no, go there, and I'll be with you, and we're going to dominate this thing. Like, the church is going to go into the world. I thought a little bit about Stranger Things. I only watched a few episodes. That's like in my cultural wheelhouse, the time of that, but I didn't get into it. But it seems like they're not supposed to go back into those woods. And Jesus is saying, hey, go into the woods. I'll be with you. We got this. And that's what he's telling them. It's a statement of mission. And it's a, that's what that's what stage three is, but it's a deepening of that. You know, he told Peter at the beginning, I'm going to follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He's constantly talking about mission and he's going to talk about mission more when he leaves, you know, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Uh, there's always mission. Here he's deepening that. And so this is what I would say is fundamental about stage three. And, and I'm going to put this, it might be a little bit crass, but I think it's helpful. In stage three, you move from merely being a consumer of like religious goods and services to a producer. You move from being a consumer to a producer. And so there's a simple question in there. If you just thought right now, am I, you know, is my spiritual life primarily about the consumption of religious goods and services, or am I, have I moved to being a producer? Now, we're all consumers. Um, every week I produce a sermon, and you consume a sermon, and that's the way that things are supposed to be. But the, the sum total of your walk with Christ cannot be consuming things. And when you move from stage one to stage two, and you're not yet to stage three, it can kind of feel like that's what it's supposed to be. But Jesus is constantly pushing past that. You need to, to be a part of the distribution chain. You need to not just be getting the Amazon packages every day. You need to start driving the van around. You know, and distributing the packages to other people. Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And that's stage two to stage three. He said, and he's going to say it later in this passage, you have to lose your life to save your life. And he talks, that's what a disciple does. That's moving from stage two to stage three. Now, I can remember, um, I've referenced this the last few weeks, a time in my life, I'm in my, my early to mid-20s, and there's like a revival spiritually, and that's when I remember these stages most specifically. And there was a guy that God put in my life at that time, a guy named Ben Sam. And so when I started going to this church and really engaging it, uh, Ben was a guy I met at one of these Sunday school classes I went to. And Ben was a, he was Vietnamese. Uh, he came over in the 70s during the Vietnam War. I don't think he was technically orphaned. But, he, um, but his parents couldn't just in all that support him. So he ended up being raised by a family in Mansfield, Ohio. And his lasting recollection of coming from Vietnam to the United States was being on this boat off the coast of Vietnam. And two literal pirate ships came up next to him and debated back and forth whether or not they should kill everybody on the boat. Uh, but he made it through that. That's Ben. He, ben was slighter than me. 
uh, and smaller than me and tried to walk on at The Ohio State University to play defensive back. Ben was tough as nails. Nothing scared Ben. Ben got an account, a degree in accounting and went to work for the IRS, um, but he worked for the division of the IRS that busts crack houses because the drug trade is the largest untaxed industry in America, so apparently the IRS goes after him. And so Ben would drive around Ohio with a group of guys in full tactical gear, bust down um, doors with, you know, a big gun in his hand and bust people. Ben, Ben, <laughs> this is the guy. He was really nice. <laughs> but this is the guy that was, he was discipling me. Um, God used him for a few years to grow me as a disciple. He was discipling me. And so I'm going to talk about that term for just a minute uh, because we all, we all need to be engaged in making disciples. If you're not making disciples, if you've been walking with Jesus for a few years and you're not a part of making disciples, you're, you might not be a disciple. I mean, the last thing he told his disciples was go and make disciples. And so that's what a disciple does is make disciples. So if you're not making disciples, you might not be a disciple. Um, and that has everything to do with moving from being a consumer to a producer uh, was stage three. And so I found this real simple definition of disciple making this week. It says disciple making is the process of helping someone establish a relationship with Jesus and then instructing that friend in the life of faith. And there's a lot of things, there's a lot of, that can look a lot of different ways, you know, but in its essence, that's what it is. Uh, for me and Ben, it was never formal. He, we never signed a contract. Ben never said, I'm going to disciple you now. It just wasn't that type of, we probably could have used it being more formal, but it wasn't that formal. We would spend time together. We'd go to lunch. We'd see the, each other at church or Bible studies or whatever. He would encourage me. Um, he would challenge me. He would answer my questions or like give me the right person to answer um, my questions. There were activities at the church that he knew would help me grow in my life of faith, and so he would kind of direct me to the right places and to the right people, uh, and it, it made a difference. Um, it was informal. It probably should have been, and for us as a church, we make disciples. We have processes by which that happens. We have people that encourage, you know, different people. We could, it would be better if it was more formal, because when stuff's not formal, it's not intentional, and when stuff's not intentional, it doesn't get done, you know? Um, if you're married and you know, and, and I almost hope my wife's not listening. If you know you're supposed to have a date night, like that's a good idea. If you're not intentional about that, if you don't calendar that, guess what? It ain't going to happen. And I've never been good about that. Um, if you, you know, if you vaguely think I need to exercise more, but you're not intentional about it, you don't have a plan, um, you don't put it on your calendar, it's not happening if you know you should be praying with your family or doing devotions, but you just think, oh, I should do that, but you don't get intentional about it, it doesn't happen. And so the more formal we are about stuff, the more likely that it's going to happen. Um, and it would be helpful if we did. It's hard. Uh, I mean, if we got more formal, it would be a little bit awkward because we, we live in a culture where we don't, we don't have a lot of formal mentors. I found most people would really enjoy a mentor at work or as a parent or just in life, you know. <laughs> And that's what he's talking about, really, um, but, but we don't make that a priority. Or it's weird because we have a radically individualized society that says, I get to do what I want to do and nobody gets to tell me what I should do. Um, when in reality, we really need some people to help us figure out what the right thing is uh, to do. And so as a church, we're talking through what, what would that be like if we made it more formal because we feel like we need to. Um, and ben wasn't, ben wasn't trying to make me more like Ben. 
Uh, that's not what discipleship is. Ben was trying to make me more like Jesus. I mean, there are ways in which I wanted to be more like Ben and became more like Ben, but that wasn't what I was thinking about. You know, it was becoming more like Jesus. In some way, I disciple all of you. You know, listening to me week by week is a form of discipleship. And in some way, honestly, and Paul said this, like, I wish that you would be more like me because in some ways God has grown me in some ways that are really helpful. In other ways, I pray to God that you don't become more like me um, because there are parts of me that are a train wreck, you know, and you're not, the goal isn't for you to become like me, it's to become like Jesus. And that's what discipleship is. And in stage two, you need to have a Ben. In stage three, you need to become a Ben. And then you always need to have a Ben and become a Ben uh, to somebody around you. So, so Ben and I, when I was at this place in life, uh, I remember this. And I looked up the restaurant because it's still there 20-something years later. But it was a place called the Windward Passage in Columbus, Ohio. It's in a little strip mall, just a hole-in-the-wall place. But it was fantastic. If you're ever in Columbus trying to go to the Windward for lunch, and they go to the Thurman Cafe for dinner. We'll talk later. And so Ben and I would go there, and Ben encouraged me, and I can, like, see it. I can see this conversation. He encouraged me to take this teaching class that the church offered. So I'm 23, 24, and single. This church had hundreds of folks in my demographic. You know, we all got together on Thursday nights and watched Friends, because that's when it came out. And and we would have Bible studies on Friday nights, that group, but it would be, it was like, I don't know, five different studies of 30, 40, 50 different people that would show up at somebody's house. And we'd have this giant, it's like a little house church. And different guys within the group taught those Friday night studies. And so Ben, there was a class that you took in order to be like certified to teach in one of these studies. It was a really good system. And so he was encouraging me to take that, that class. And I was like, no. Nope, I don't want to do that. Don't think I should do that. Uh-uh. Check. You know, like that was the extent of that. Now, Ben, like I said, had faced down pirates in Vietnam, had tried out to be a defensive back at the Ohio State University, and had busted crack houses. My little, nah, I don't think so, wasn't going to dissuade Ben <laughs> from getting me to do what he thought was the right thing to do, and so he persisted with that. And eventually I was like, all right. I mean, maybe he's right about this. And sometimes that's just what you need is the push. And sometimes if you're in stage three, four, five, six, and someone doesn't respond to the push, keep pushing. And so Ben had me take that class, and I did. It was pretty basic stuff. And the last stage of the class is you have to come up with a lesson, and then you teach the guys that were already teaching in these studies. So it's a Saturday morning, about a dozen of these guys sitting in a circle with a pastor that oversaw that part of the church's ministry um, in a church office somewhere. It was the, it was the hardest sermon I've ever given uh, to that group of people. When, people. when people preach here, and they haven't preached before, we rehearse them a week before they're going to preach on Sunday morning. We make them do that to this room, but only like four or five people. So it's kind of like it is now. And those people then give them feedback afterwards. It's the hardest it will be for somebody <laughs> to preach. And so I did it, and they were like, all right, you're good. That was good. Like, you know, there's something there. Just go for it, and we'll see what happens. And so then I started teaching in one of these Friday night studies, and man, people responded, you know. Uh, I mean, people just made positive comments, and some people said, man, that's, you know, you're one of the better teachers we've had, and they, were, they talked to me about this one guy that had taught in these studies and then ended up going to seminary, and now was a pastor someplace, and I'm like, okay. And, and the pastor over that stuff, he didn't make this comment to me, he made it to someone else who, like, 
fed it back to me, but the pastor said, hey, watch Jeff. He's got a pastor's heart. And I was like, I do? Like, what is, I don't know what any of this means. And, and I, but I did have a sense that the career track I, on, I was on wasn't like my permanent track, that there was something, um, there was something else. And that, that stuff that happened in that, I don't know, year or two, changed the course of my life. And it happened because I lost my life to save it because Ben pushed me. I don't know what would have happened if Ben hadn't been intentional about that and Ben hadn't pushed me and Ben hadn't persisted in that. Um, but he persisted and, and I lost my life and in some ways saved my life. Jesus saved it, you know. And Ben said, hey, get off your butt and stop leeching off the church and get in the game. And at some point in your walk with Jesus, that's the message you need to hear. Get off your butt, stop leeching off the church, get in the game, because that's the way that the thing is meant to work. Move from stage two to stage three. Move from just being a consumer to being a producer. And so being productive in the kingdom of God is going to cost you something, but it's going to give you um, much more in return. And, but it's going to feel like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know if I'm able to do this. I don't know if I should do this, um, but, but you should I mean, it's, it's just part of the progression. You know, stage one, uh, people, people sh- you know, just show up. You haven't, you haven't been around church or you, you're just starting to f- figure out about Jesus and acknowledge that maybe, maybe he is. And so you, you get to church, and I say this all the time, church is a really scary place if you haven't been to church in a while. Um, you come to church, and by default, especially a church like ours, you think everybody knows everybody, and the only person that doesn't know everybody is you, and that's totally not true, but that's what you think, um, and you're just not sure about it. And honestly, when you haven't been hanging around church people, and then you start hanging around church people, church people have come across as a little weird to you, you know? And maybe we are in some ways, you know, but maybe we're not, and you're the one that has just been weird in other ways. And then you get around it for a while, and it's not so weird anymore, and you're like, oh, these people are pretty cool. And, and then the stuff that I'm saying or whoever is preaching is saying starts to make more sense to you. And then God is doing stuff in your life that nobody else knows about because that's how God works particularly in, that, in those early stages. And so you buy in, you know, and, and ideally that's where you get baptized because that's what Jesus calls us to do when we've come to the place of recognizing that he's the son of God uh, and that he died on a cross and rose from the dead. And then stage two is just you start to really engage or these can, bl- you know, blend together, you know, but you start to really engage. You might join a, a home group at that point, um, you, you really get to know some people and to let yourself be known in a way that's not totally common in our culture. And that just is freedom, you know, being known and stop hiding and, and to expose some things about yourself or that you've done or that have happened to you and to receive grace. Um, like the grace of God from people in that is, is awesome. It's a fantastic thing. And you might start edging into stage three at that point because you want to be a part of things. And so you, you, know, you volunteer for the guest services team, and I can stand at a tour and be nice, um, which is super, super significant, you know. But, but God may call you to, to greater leadership than that. Or you, you're in the nursery holding babies or, you know, on the hospitality team or whatever, the tech, whatever it might be. You want to be a part of things, and so you edge into that. Uh, but then stage three really like usually calls you to something more, um, some greater responsibility, some form of leadership that maybe you, you haven't done before, you don't feel like you're ready for, um, but, but you are. I'm going to read 
man, I find something in this book, and I, and I, I ran it by a few people, um, and this is about stage two, like how you can get stuck at stage two um, and not move to stage three. And so I'm going to read this just as a caution to you, and, and they talk about the switchers. So we join a group that looks very much alive and ready to meet our needs or beliefs as we come to recognize them. We join, participate, and live in the group for a time, but then gradually we come to realize that the group is not exactly what we had been looking for. We grow disillusioned with it and criticize it. We accuse the group of changing and fault it for not being for us what we really need. It may be that the leader has begun to move in a different direction than the one we found or the one we thought we found upon joining, so we leave. We may try initially to make changes or voice our differences, but to no avail. We feel betrayed. While we've kept the beliefs or lived the faith in our perception, others in the group or the leader have not. Our security is threatened. We then switch to another group that now appears to be more in keeping with our needs, our beliefs, our ideals. On the spiritual journey, we switchers spend a great deal of time at this stage because we continually change from one group to another. We are not moving on in our journey, but we are moving around. We are not moving on in our journey, but we are moving around, and the movement gives us a sense of progress along the way. Often we experience intense highs and lows because joining and leaving are such emotional events. That very intensity may be one of the reasons that we switch. At the same time, the newness each group gives us of each group gives us an occasion, again, to learn and to belong. And there are reasons to, to switch and to move, but man, I'm always, when people come to Oak City and they come from another church locally, I learned this years ago, like I always sit them down and kind of grill them uncomfortably to ask why they left that other church, because if, if it's not a good reason, then they're going to leave our church in like nine to 18 months for the exact same reason. You got to be careful not to get caught in the trap of being a switcher, because really you're just extending stage two and not maturing into realizing now I got to be a part of producing this. And it's not going to be clean as we're going to see um, in just a minute with Paul. There's a, um, another passage I want to speak into this. And there's a bunch of passages like this, but it's Ephesians chapter four. Uh, Paul writes, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And he gave the apostles, he gave the prophets, he gave the evangelists, he gave the shepherds, and he gave the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, the building up of the body of Christ. So those are all ministry leadership gifts. And they're not, that's not the exclusive list you read in 1 Corinthians and you read in Romans and you see more things about that list. But there's, it's clear that there's a picture in the New Testament that Jesus is, the church is the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ, and we all are a part of that body and members of it, and we have a part to play. And even there, those leadership gifts for the church are there to equip the saints for the work of ministry, not to do all the work, but to equip the saints to do the work, to build up the body of Christ until we attain these things, the unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, maturity, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes. And he goes on, rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and being held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, when each part is working properly. And so that means a lot of people move from stage two to stage three <laughs> because, because we need all of it. The church needs all of it. And if everybody's not playing their part, then the church doesn't work the way that it's supposed to. And the body of Christ doesn't look as much like Christ um, as it's supposed to. Makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. 
And so we're all, and this is maturity. You grow into that realizing, okay, I'm a part of this thing. I am not, the, the church does not have a spleen that nobody knows what it does. Jake's going to be afterwards like, we know what it does. But you know what I mean. Uh, you're, you're a vital organ for the body. Uh, and you need to be playing your part in that. Jesus at one point says, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And so at the end of that passage, Paul says it builds itself up in love. The love that the church expresses for the church is meant to show the world a bit of what the kingdom of God looks like, and that that's a good deal, and they should want to be a part of it, and it's dependent upon the, the grace of Jesus to be what it is. And so that's what happens when the church works the way that it's supposed to. In another place, Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so the church is supposed to work in such a way so that they see, and the, the, the Greek there is beautiful deeds, that they would see are beautiful deeds. And they wouldn't say, oh man, those guys are great, but they would say their God is great because their God like pressed them and motivated them and transformed them to do those things um, that are a blessing to the world around them. And we do that better together than we do alone. I often say this, the best advertisement for the church is the church because when you hang around this group of people for a while in a healthy functioning church, um, there's just something great about it, and you have a sense of it. I was uh, thinking this week about other, you know, characters in the Bible that moved from stage two to stage three, and then and next week, you'll see how they move to stage four, but Moses, when he's out in the desert, and God calls him at the burning bush, and he's like, hey man, get back in the game. Uh, I need you to go down there and have a conversation with Pharaoh and lead my people out of there, and Moses is like, no, not going to do it. And resist it, resist it, resist it, resist it. Goes and changes everything when he goes. Samuel is raised in the temple under Eli. And God comes to him and, and he doesn't recognize the voice. And it takes a while. And finally Eli's like, well, the next time you hear that, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And then he hears. Paul, when he comes to faith in Jesus, has some 14 years where he's kind of isolated, and it's like a long stage two, and he's doing stage three stuff, but he's not really having the profile that he's going to have later, and then he goes to Antioch, and God says, set apart Paul and Barnabas, because I got some missions for them, and then they go, and they change the world, you know, but he accepts that call to move from stage two to stage three, and I think about Isaiah saying, here am I, send me, and that's like the heart of stage three is, here am I, send me. And so that could mean a million different things. And some of you are like, I remember exactly when I moved from stage two to stage three and realized that I was acting more as a consumer and, and it was time for me to step into this. And some of you are like, maybe you remember when you had that opportunity and you missed it. And some of you are thinking maybe that opportunity is right now. And it could look like a bunch of different things. It could look like your first step into serving. It could look like stepping up into a greater leadership role in serving and taking more responsibility. It better include finding someone around you that you can help establish a relationship with Jesus and grow in their faith, which was my definition of discipleship earlier, because that's definitely got to be a part of it. Um, disciples of Jesus make disciples. They're engaged in that process, and so he wants us to be a part of what he's doing in the lives of the people around us. And that, for me, when Ben pressed me on that, and I started teaching in that group, that changed my life. It changed the course of my life. When I moved down to Raleigh, I didn't think I'm going to be a pastor. I didn't, I actually thought I might go on staff with the Raleigh Rescue Mission. Teaching wasn't it. Serving was it. You know, I had I had come to realize, like, God could use me to make a life in the difference of, or a difference in the life of the people around me. And, like, that 
when I was a youth pastor, I used to talk about how that's like spiritual crack. If you can get these kids realizing that God wants to use them to improve the lives of the people around them, and there's no bigger way you can improve somebody's life than introducing them to Jesus <laughs> and letting Jesus take their life over. Um, when I realized that, I was, that's what I wanted. And so when I came down here looking for a church, the number one question I asked when I was looking for a church is, God, where do you want to use me? It wasn't, what do I think about the teaching? It wasn't, how's the worship? It wasn't the people. It was, God, where do you want to use me? And those other things were important. You know, I can remember going to, um, to Crossroads, and there was a guy teaching named Chuck Million who ended up, he just started then, but taught there for years, and I loved his teaching, you know? But, I mean, the worship, I don't know, it's a little cheesy maybe. And then I went to uh, Colonial Baptist, um, and so that was a little buttoned up for me. And I liked, the, I liked Pastor Davey's preaching, and the worship was um, a little formal, but there's something good about that, like something heavy about it that I liked, you know? And I went to Providence, and then I went to Hope, and I didn't like... I liked Mike. I didn't, there was a little church. It was like the stuff was difficult, but I knew God wanted me there to serve. I just didn't have any question about it. I didn't know what that was. And a year and a half later, I quit my job and come on staff as a youth pastor. Like, that's the question we should be asking when we're stage three and beyond is, God, where do you want to use us? Where do you want to use us? Um, and I, I, I mean, we, we pressed. Actually, my thoughts about my conversation with Ben made me think, maybe I give up too easy on pressing people from stage two to stage three. You might be like, no, that's not true. But I don't know. I, you need to be pressed from one to the other, and, um, and you need to respond when, when people are doing that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish with one last, like the rest of this passage, and this is kind of edging into next week, stage four. Um, but our vision of productivity um, and his vision of productivity are probably two different visions. And so you move from stage two to stage three, and then you get to be a part of things, and like God does use you to change people's lives, and you're like, okay, I got this. I got a sense of this. But then it just never goes the same way that you thought it would, and that's a whole other stage. And so Peter, um, he kind of steps in it here. So from that time, after this confession and the scene at Caesarea Philippi, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. It's the gospel. Um, Jesus is going to suffer in our place for our sake, and then he's going to be raised on the third day. Uh, but the gospel is counterintuitive to us. And so, like, Peter and the disciples just didn't see what place that could possibly play. <laughs> you know, there were some bad scenes in there for them, but it had to happen. Uh, and that... Like, we might think the win is one thing, but God's going to think it's something completely different. And remember this line, um, people, don't, people don't change until the cost of saying the same is greater than the cost of change. And if we're going to change and become more like Christ, that's going to mean some difficult times in stage two, three, four, five, whatever it is. And we got to be ready for that. And Peter's not. And so in this scene, Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke Jesus. Never a bad idea, or never a good idea to rebuke Jesus, just saying. Uh, and he said to him, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And I, I feel like Peter, 
just got this like, okay, you put me in charge of something. That sounds like a really bad thing. I'm not letting that happen to you. I'm your right hand. I'm your bodyguard. They'll never do that to you. And Jesus responds and says, get behind me, Satan. That's your worst day when Jesus calls you Satan. You're a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And the things of God and the things of man um, just are different. And that's maturity, is moving through the next few stages to learn that. And Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And that's counterintuitive. You know, telling somebody, you lose your life and then you're going to save your life. Like, it's almost consumeristic in a way, but it'll never feel like that in the moment. It'll never feel like you're winning when you're losing. <laughs> it will after the fact. But you're just going to have to trust Jesus in that moment, not because he makes you feel good, but because he's true. And so those stage one and stage two are necessary before you really grow into stage three and stage four and stage five. Um, but that's where he's headed, and Jesus finishes that. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Like, live in perspective. What shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his angels in, in the glory of his Father and will repay each person according to what he's done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And so this is a layer um, that he calls us into, and we have to grow deeper into that. Um, and then there's, you know, there's a few layers beyond that, that that get a little bit more difficult as we move on in this. I don't know what that means for you. Like I said, I know I'm talking to people that are at stage one. and sta I know I'm talking to people at every stage, and for some of you it's a recollection, and some of you it's not going to happen for months on from here, and for some of you it's exactly where you are. Uh, but my, my hope and my prayer is that God, you're, this isn't Jeff speaking to you, this is the Lord speaking to you, and that you respond. And if you need help doing that, and you need help doing that, let us know, and we would love to help you. Father, I'm thankful for, um, for this scene. I'm thankful for, uh, for me, just all the recollections of what that was, and, and, and that it's never done. Like, stage three is a layer, and um, so I've taken steps and made sacrifices and seen work, but there's never a rest in that. Like, you may always call me deeper into stage three in some way, shape, or form. Um, you're always at work. It never stops. You're always building the body up, Lord, so that it's healthy and mature and focused on you and being a blessing to the world around it. And so, God, um, we thank you for the part that we get to play in that, and I pray for those that are at that point of stage two to stage three, um, that you would give them clear direction on and what that next step is and what part you want them to play in the body. And then, you know, as they move through that, they would get the satisfaction of knowing that they have been used by you to make a difference in the lives of the people around them and to make the kingdom of God a reality on earth as it is in heaven. We love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.